0: Mark chapter 8, as we just read a few minutes ago. Mark chapter 8, look at that verse 22 through 26 again this morning. And um, Kayla just came up and told me she was praying for me and gave me a kiss on the cheek. And Kelly said, I was going to tell you I'm praying for you, but I'm not going to kiss you on the cheek. I said, I appreciate that. <laughs> more, than you, more than you know, I appreciate that. Um, anyway, well, um, I, I'm excited to preach this morning. Um, I wore a sport coat yesterday for the first time in a while to, for the wedding, and uh, walked in this morning and got some encouraging words of, that thing looks really small on you. How old is that? And so I um, just really appreciate the encouragement this morning. mainly Mainly immature, younger adults and teenagers. But anyway... Uh, Mark chapter 8 again. So I'm going to read the text, and, uh, and then we'll get into the word this morning. Let's pray before we do that. Let's pray. God in heaven, we come before you this morning, and we ask you, like we just saying, Speak, O Lord, through your church is built and filled with your glory. God, I pray that this morning that you would um, speak through your word. God, I pray you'd hide me behind yourself. And God, that the words that are said this morning would just be edifying and would be straight from your word. God, we we pray that you would just build us up, instruct our hearts, teach us what we don't know, instruct us where we've gone wrong, and help us be more like you as a result of your word today. God, we thank you again for this time to sit in a nice, comfortable room hearing the preaching from your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word that you've given to us. We ask these things today in your name. Amen. Verse 22 says this, and he cometh to Bethsaida. Speaking of Jesus, of course, and they bring a blind man unto him, and they besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the town. And we had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. After that he put his hands again upon his eyes, and he made him look up, and he was restored, and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to the house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. Now, if you read that just, just like we just did, and you close your Bible and say, All right, what does that say? What is that talking about? Uh, we can quickly look at that at surface level and say, Praise God, what a Savior, what a healing. We could wrap up in prayer, go home, and thank God for who he is. Uh, but there's much more implications, much more depth to this passage of scripture than just simply what's occurring on the surface. And so, as we get into this today, I want us to think about something before we jump into it. We've already seen uh, many miracles in the book of Mark already, have we not? Uh, we're eight chapters then. We've, we've already seen blind men healed. Uh, we've seen the lame healed. We've seen leprous people healed. And so, this isn't a new event seeing a miracle occur in Mark, it's just simply not. But I like. I want to just look at two verses real quick from John. At the very end of the book of John, John reminds us what these miracles are for. John chapter 21, verse 30 and 31 say this, And many other signs, truly the Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not even in this book, that there were way more miracles that occurred that aren't even in Scripture. But these, these ones recorded in the Gospels, are written. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. I just want to preface our our passage today because I think so many times we see these miracles we're like, that's really cool, and it would have been even better to be there. But I don't want us to, to miss what he's getting at here in his word just because we're familiar with the miracles. Because these miracles are not random, but they have much purpose and meaning in them and why they're done. And so, as we look at our text today, we're seeing a blind man being healed. And as I thought about that this week, all I could think of was the optometrist going to get the eye doctor to be seen. All right, has anybody been to the eye doctor before? You guys been there before? Okay, there's way more people wearing glasses with their hands down. Oh, there we go. There we go. I'm like liar. Okay, liar. <laughs> Or she you went to the Dollar Tree and got the reading glasses that aren't doing enough for you, probably. Um, anyway, uh, I uh, don't like going to the eye doctor. I wear contacts and glasses and stuff. Um, and um, the eye doctor, you know, when you go there, there's that puff test they do, and they put the pressure in your eye. It's not much fun. They lie to you. They say, okay, in 3, two, 1, we're going to do this thing. And they go, three, right in your face, right? And you're like, you're, you're blinded for a moment, and it's horrible. And uh, that's why I do all my stuff online now. Anyway, um, regardless of that... Uh, there's, this, there's this thing, this ferofter they put in front of you. And you sit down and you put your face in it. It's like the owl-like contraption. And uh, you're looking through these lenses and they're changing the glass and it's not like dominoes falling over and doing all kinds of stuff. And you're just looking to see. And they're telling you to read these letters on the back wall, right? And you're, you're kind of looking at it and they start with the blurrier and maybe not, the not so strong um, glass. And they're, they're getting more and more clear as they make it a little bit stronger to fit your eyes, right? And things become a little bit more... Abundantly clear as you're getting a better sight, a better lens to look through. As I was reading this text this week, all I could think of uh, was that. That in a similar fashion, not the same, of course, we're gonna see Jesus doing this through a miracle of a blind man. But it's not just simply about um, the miracle of the man being healed. There's some underlying um application and teaching that's taking place here. Jesus is helping teach the disciples. And he's also illustrating to us the blind state that we all find ourselves in, the spiritual blindness that we are born in, that we need to have our eyes opened to the truth. And like before, the Bible often uses this imagery of spiritual blindness to to teach us. And one of the rebukes of the Pharisees, Jesus calls them blind. And one of his conversations to to the disciples, even in this chapter, he says, having eyes, do you not see? Do you not understand So Jesus, the ultimate teacher, conveying that he is the Messiah, the Christ, continually shows them miracles. We've read already so many already, things that Jesus has done. He's told them so much, and yet they're not understanding fully. So he's going to show us, as we grow and we mature in our knowledge and love of Christ, our ears and our eyes are exposed even greater to who Jesus is to even greater depths of what he has done and who he is. And so our title today is simply "Seeing Clearly. Seeing Clearly this morning, not physically, but spiritually. And my prayer is that our eyes will be opened even greater today to the richness of who Jesus is, to the greatness of his power through the preaching of his word today. Our, our big idea this morning, our big idea is simply this. The disciples were struggling to see who Jesus was and we find ourselves in the same predicament today. We need to have our spiritually blinded eyes opened by Christ. Then we will truly be able to see, know, love, and trust him fully. Trusting him fully. So let's jump into the text this morning and uh, see, see what's before us. Uh, number one this morning in our text, uh, the first point is the scene before us. Uh, so, verse 22 says, they, He cometh, Jesus, that is, cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. Now, that might just be a simple fact in your mind when you read that, because it's, most of us would just read that at surface level and say, Okay, cool, great. Like, they're there. There's a, there's a blind man, he wants to be healed, he wants to be touched. But there's a couple things I want to point out about Bethsaida because it's not just a random place. There's a lot of different things happening in the background or have happened earlier in history that lead us up to this point. And one of those things is this. Um, A guy named Philip, a guy named Andrew, and a guy named Peter, which were disciples, were from Bethsaida. Uh, This is a small uh, fishing town or fishing village just off the the north part of the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus is heading back to Bethsaida, and he's performing these mind-boggling, mind-blowing miracles, these unfathomable things, and yet he's coming under criticism of the Pharisees. He's coming into doubt from the disciples. There's a little bit of question of, like, why he's doing all these things, and you're not getting it even still. One thing that always blows my mind when I read Scripture, and the Pharisees, right after a miracle, say, all right, we need you to show us something. And it's like, what did he just do? Like, <laughs> he just did. Like, he's showing you who he is. And I'm like, maybe, maybe they weren't as smart, but I'm sure they were really smart guys, but they just weren't getting it. They weren't understanding. Even as Jesus proved himself, if you were, they were so reject, they were rejecting him so far to the point that even if he did show himself again, would they really believe? Would they really understand? Would they really put their faith in him as the Messiah? And so as we go through here, this is, Uh, kind of the the, the end point, the signing off of Jesus' ministry in Galilee here. And so Jesus is closing it out with kind of an interesting event in this miracle. So not only was Bethsaida where some of the disciples were from, but Bethsaida is also found in other places in Scripture for not-so-good reasons. Um, It'll be on your screen. Matthew 11 tells us a little bit about Bethsaida. Matthew 11, 21 to 24 says this, then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Jesus again speaking. Why did he, why did he denounce them or upbraid them? Because they repented not. Then he cast out some woes. Number 21. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee. You see that there? Bethsaida. Put it in all caps just in case you couldn't see. Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had be done in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Now, Tyre and Sidon, you might not know a lot about them. They were known in the Old Testament for their Baal worship, their false worship of false gods. They were believing in things that weren't a reality. And Jesus even uh, was letting them know that, hey, even in their rejection, if they saw just what you saw, if they saw the events, the occurrences that happened in Seda. They would have believed. They would have turned. What happened in um, Bethsaida? Jesus walked on water there and even brought Peter out. Even, more, even a bigger one that we might see is Jesus feeds the 5,000, which, again, we mentioned weeks back, would have probably uh, made, a, made a big commotion in the area and people would know what had taken place. You feed thousands of people in a village, uh, they find out pretty quickly um, what had happened, who has been here. But that doesn't finish in Matthew. Matthew 23, he gives a little comparison with Capernaum as well. But thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought low down to hell. For if the mighty works which are done in thee have been done in Sodom, which we're familiar with that word most of us are, it would have remained until this day. But I see unto you that it should be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and the day of judgment than for thee. Again, Sodom and Gomorrah, we read in the Old Testament, they were destroyed. Uh, we see the judgment of God upon them for their wickedness. But he says, just like Capernaum and Bethsaida, if they could have seen those things, they might still be around. <laughs> That's what he's telling you. The comparison to their rejection, their unbelief, their unrepentant hearts has led them here. Now, why do I say all this? Because when they beg this blind, or Jesus to heal this blind man, Jesus does something different in verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the town. I want to piece this together for you. So when Jesus walks the man out of the town, he does so because this village has had pronounced judgment against it. That, that Jesus is done with Bethsaida. He is done with Bethsaida. So he's like, I'm not doing a mighty work in Bethsaida. We're going to take this guy out of town and we're going to perform this miracle because of what has taken place. Like I said before, signing off that he's done with his ministry in Galilee, but as we see, as Jesus was passing through, obviously people must have got wind of that. And as he's doing so, Jesus, or this sorry, this blind man has some friends or some people around him that realize, hey, this guy can do something about your ailment. They have seen healings, they've seen miracles, and he says, hey, let's get him and let's get him to touch him, and that will be our solution. One little, just practical um, mention here: none of us have the ability to open spiritually blind eyes of anyone around us. But as we're faithful to introduce people to Jesus, to the message of the gospel, God can give them sight. You know, as we come across people and we see those in our lives, whether it's family or friends, and we see them blind in their sin, blind uh, from God, are we begging Jesus to do something on their behalf? Are we asking God through prayer? We, might, we can't physically walk up to Jesus like they did, but are we asking God some power in their life to heal them of their spiritual blindness, and they begged him. Now, this this thought of um, Jesus touching them was, had become a very familiar thing, right? Jesus oftentimes would touch uh, a, a, a blind man or, or a deaf man, or he, and one of the uh, passages he put spit on his, his fingers or whatever, put it in the ear. You know, there's all different uh, ways that miracles were accomplished and done, and Jesus would oftentimes put his hands. On them, even the one miracle with the lady with the issue of blood would reach out through the crowd and just touch Jesus' garment, touch him a little bit, and power went out of him and she was healed. Right? So, this is a pretty common thing that they were doing to heal people, Jesus was doing. But it's significant because those who are sick, deaf, blind, some had leprosy, any kind of um, issue or struggle that they might have had the Pharisees would have looked at that and said, hey, that is because of judgment. That is because of some sin they or uh, some former generation might have committed and caused them this this sickness. And so they were uh, labeled and deemed unclean. Don't touch, stay away from, something's wrong with them. And so what we're going to see here is this is Jesus, though, works in pretty unconventional ways in our minds. He works in a different way that we would not even understand in his time why he was on earth. Because those who the world call unclean, Jesus will put his hands on. Those who the world might say they're ruined or too far gone, Jesus will intervene in their lives. Jesus doesn't follow the Pharisees and the Sadducees' traditions, but he does things quite different. Those who are deemed misfits, unclean, not the right mold, Jesus can still work with them. Jesus can still work in them. Jesus can still change their lives. I love how Hebrews records it. Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's without sin, but he feels what we feel. He can feel the struggle that you go through, and he wants to give you strength. And so as we see this this man, we see these people begging that they will touch this blind man and heal him of his ailments. And help him. Jesus is just about to do that. But I want to be reminded that Jesus cares for this man. And I want to remind you today that Jesus cares deeply for you. And he wants to intervene in the struggles of our lives and the things that we can't do on our own strength, he can do for us. So we want to see the scene set before us. And then number two this morning, the problem amongst us. The problem amongst us. Verse 23 and 24 He took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw it, or saw anything. Excuse me. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. Look at verse 25. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now the problem amongst us, We understand, I've already given some context to why Jesus led him out of the town. Because this this village, Jesus was pretty much done with them. He was saying, you know, there's not going to be any mighty works done here anymore. And he's signing that ministry off from Galilee, which is a weird pattern in the miracles of Jesus. Jesus typically doesn't take someone who's blind and says, hey, let's walk out of town and then I'll take care of you. But he leads them out of town. It's kind of a different event in this miracle. A couple things that are a little different in this miracle that happened. And again, he does this because of the rejection he has faced In And then it says, Jesus is sanitary cleaning here. He spits on his eye. Uh, We have seen this already. Um, We're not going to reenact this this morning. Uh, Probably wouldn't get any volunteers for that one. Uh, But he spits on his eyes and he puts his hands upon him and he goes to heal him. But as we see this happening, we've seen variations of this in the Gospels. We've seen kind of some similar things take place. What happens next is the, this is the first and only time this ever happens. Look what he says next. Do you see anything? <laughs> Can you imagine? You're there, and you're one of the guys begging on this guy's behalf, heal this guy, and Jesus heals him, so to speak. And he says, do you see anything? And you're like, wait a minute. That's not, this is not how this is supposed to work. Um, this is not normal. Okay, this is, this is different. Because Jesus typically issues bold proclamations or commands like, hey, you're healed, rise up and walk, take up your bed and go. Hey, see what's among you, go out. You know, he he, he gives all these different commands in the Gospels after miracles, but here he doesn't do that. He asks him a question like, did it work? (laughs) Do you see anything? Jesus is not in the trial run of figuring out how miracles work. We've already seen him do them. But it almost seems as that is the case we have to go back again. Last couple weeks, Dan's been preaching in the sections that obviously precede this. And there's a reason why this is happening in the context it's happening in. In previous passages, uh, we see in Scripture that Jesus is showing the disciples, he's telling the disciples of who he is. And the Pharisees are rejecting, and the disciples are doubting. It's almost rubbing off on them, and they're not fully trusting what Jesus is saying, or fully understanding what Jesus is saying. So this man responds and says, hey, I see men as if they were trees. I can see that they're vertical, they're standing up, but I can't make out who is who. When I first read this, I thought, is there some hidden meaning in this passage I'm not seeing? But no, I think it's just simply that. It's just simply that. Things weren't completely cleared up yet. But although unclear, better than before. Jesus, though, is getting to the root of the Pharisees' problem And the disciples' lack of understanding. Jesus is revealing himself more and more, teaching them, and their sight and understanding is going to get more clear as they go on. But they still here haven't yet understood. See, we see the context in Mark pushes us to consider the relationship between this miracle and the unbelief of the disciples. It seems that this gradual or progressive healing is a means of helping the disciples see the difference between partial and complete sight. While already they know the Pharisees are blind, the disciples are not still fully seeing things right. They aren't fully understanding. Do you you relate with that? Do you you have those questions sometimes? Where you, you understand what Christ has done for you, but you can't quite see what he's doing? You don't quite understand everything about him? We're still in this growth process. And then verse 25 Jesus lays his hands on him again. If he, if he would have left him there, that would have been kind of messed up. You know, <laughs> you can see blurry. <laughs> but he wouldn't deserve it either way. Jesus lays his hands on him again, on his eyes, and the man opens to restored sight, and he sees everything clearly. As I said already, this is the first ever and the only gradual miracle that Jesus ever performs, which is the second kind of thing that stands out that's different about this uh, particular miracle than any of the ones he's ever done in Scripture But with the disciples' lack of understanding that precedes where we are today, Jesus still isn't being fully understood. But Jesus wants to open the ears and the eyes of the disciples' hearts. And so, why did I I label this um, the problem amongst us? The reason it's labeled that way is because this is the problem we find ourselves in from our very existence. We're born into spiritual blindness. Uh, no one just has always known God, right? You are, your eyes are opened by Christ to see him, to see his gospel, and to put your faith in him. We're spiritually blind from the get-go. We must come to faith in Christ by Jesus opening our eyes to the good news of the gospel. And as we grow in him, it's often like this miracle. We can't see everything clearly at the beginning. But he begins to pry our eyes open more and more as we grow in his word, as we understand who he is. Uh, You might be thinking in your mind, uh, Matt, I've been a Christian for 30 years, 40 years, 20 years, 10 years, whatever it might be, I, I don't understand where the problem might be. But hey, guess what? Until we see Christ face to face, we will not fully be able to comprehend every single piece of who he is, of his word before us, and we'll be continually asking questions because guess what? We don't know everything. And so as we pursue him, until we see him face to face, we won't have that reality. And that might be many of us in here this morning that we've seen Christ, we understand a lot of his word. But there's probably some in the room today that are completely spiritually blind. They don't know Christ, or haven't come to that realization that their sin requires a, a sacrifice or a punishment or a payment. And it's not one they can achieve or or work for or do enough good deeds to accomplish. But the only thing is that Christ can cure them, he can heal them. He could restore their spiritual blindness by touching them and saving them, by their turning to him, repenting of their sins, and believing in the good news of Christ as Savior. And so the problem amongst us is we find ourselves either totally spiritually blind or our eyes are continually being opened, but we must never get over the fact that we don't know it all, that we're continuing to grow. And guess what? When we think we know it all, we definitely have not. And we must continue to grow in his word. By trusting what he has said, by studying what he said, and by teaching what he has said. Number three this morning. We've already seen the scene before us. We've seen the problem amongst us. And I want to see the Savior's grace towards us this morning. Jesus, verse 25 again, he says this. He put his hands on him again, upon his eyes. He made him look up, and he was restored. And he saw every man Clearly, clearly, he restored this man's sight. He gave him complete vision. And he's teaching the disciples one day you'll be able to fully comprehend what is being said. You're going to fully comprehend this one, time, one day, but this is all of us until we're there. This is all of us until we get there. But one thing I want to understand, I want to look at from this passage, is Jesus' personability or personalness with this blind man. Because we can resonate with this story. Because Jesus gets down on our level as we're spiritually blind, unable to help ourselves. And he gets so close to touch us, call us out, save us, forgive us of our sins, pull us off the broad path, lift us off and put us on the narrow way that we cannot accomplish on our own. Jesus does this. And just as this man was a sinner, this man was not worthy, and neither are we, of Christ's touch upon our lives or his saving upon our lives. Yet he does it anyway. He puts his hands on this man that was deemed unclean. And as God does this for us and forgives us of our sin and puts us in his way, we see his goodness and even his grace daily in our lives. And then we begin to see things clearly, like this man did. See things clearly because we have been restored. We have been redeemed by God. We see things clearly about ourselves and truly about who Christ is. And then verse 26. And he sent him away to the house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. So Jesus sends this man home and says, All right, don't enter the village. I don't want them to know why or how you got healed. Like right now, like this is not the right time and place. So, so this man goes back to his home, seems to be obedient uh, to what he's told, um, because I would imagine if you're in your house just relaxing and the former blind man comes and finds you and calls you by name and uh, is looking you dead in the eye, you would probably realize something is different uh, than the last time you talked to him. Um, and Jesus, or the, the word would have got around, and Jesus was around, but like I said before, Jesus wasn't doing any more miracles in Bethsaida, any more mighty works in Bethsaida, as he has already called judgment, from the lack of repentance and their unbelief. So the fact that Jesus did what he did, though, for this man shows us the compassion of Christ, an act of grace towards a yet another unworthy sinner. If you compare Matthew and you compare Mark here, in the same place where Jesus called out judgment and woes and what's coming for you, he takes this man by the hand, walks them out of town, and heals him has compassion on him, shows this man more grace than he ever, can ever imagine, shows him more love than he probably has ever even understood or, or had towards him in his life. And even though, like I said, many in this land didn't believe and repent and there was that judgment coming, Jesus' promise from John 36, 7 was still true. All, that, all those that come to me, I will never cast out. All those who pursue Christ, God will never turn his back, never turn them away. Those that come to Christ for salvation, for spiritual blindness to be healed, he will never cast you out. He says, come unto me all those who are weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Aren't we thankful for that truth today? That Christ, even though undeserving, we can come to him. And we come to him for salvation. And then we come to him daily because we struggle in life. I don't know about you, but I'm a struggler, okay? Uh, you might be all perfect, but I'm not. And we need him every day. And he shows us Grace. And what we see here is it seems like this man is obedient to Jesus' command. Now, if you're familiar with these, these go and don't tell anybody or go home and don't say a word, this is a pretty common thing Jesus says to those he's done miracles to. And oftentimes, they don't do what he says. They run out and they go tell everybody, you know. Um, and I would imagine the excitement of the miracle itself would cause you to do that. But Jesus tells them not to oftentimes, not because he doesn't want people to see who he is, But until the work of Christ on the cross was completed, Jesus continues to tell people to be silent about his power, to be quiet about what has happened, because his time was not come to die yet, and his ministry would be continued. And so we see the Savior's grace towards us. It's it's hard to relate in this passage because, you know, I would imagine this man who maybe had never seen, maybe he went blind later on in life, but either way, he was totally blind. And now you could totally see. And as he was going through this, this instance, Jesus again shows him his goodness and his grace. As I think about our lives, spiritually speaking, we, we, we come into this life spiritually blind, and as God reveals himself to us and opens our eyes to the gospel. As blown away as that man's eyes were when he saw not just people looking like trees, but the actual face of those that he calls friends. I would imagine the excitement that he had should be the excitement we have towards what Christ has done for us. So we see the Savior's grace towards us. got a few concluding thoughts I want us to keep in mind. Practical things, some takeaways um, that will hopefully help us. Uh, Three of them. Uh, Number one is our need. Our need from this passage is that Scripture is clear that of course we're all born spiritually blind and we're in need of our eyes being opened to truth. None of us have gained the sight, spiritual sight by ourselves, but it's a gift of God, like Ephesians 2 tells us. It's a gift of God through the person and work of Jesus that is only received by faith. And so the, our need, so our need, this morning: have your eyes been opened by Christ by coming to him for salvation? Recently, I got to talk to some teenagers about this. It's not what we know about Jesus. It's not the knowledge of things. It's not even memorization of things. It is Christ your Savior. Have you put your faith in this Jesus? Not as your mom or dad, not as your family. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Because there's a lot of people that know a lot about the Bible who are not going to be in heaven, unfortunately. Because it's not about knowledge. It's not about what we know. It's about who we're believing in. So our need this morning. And then our second thing, our calling. Now, I know I just told you, he told them to be quiet. Our calling's a little different. As we consider this miracle, we should be reminded of our greatest need to share the gospel. I think of these guys as examples of bringing their blind friend or getting their blind friend ready to meet Jesus. It's our job. We have been called to share the message of the one who gives sight to all those around us. Are we sharing Christ with those around us? That's always a challenge. Everybody could say, I could do better. I could be better at sharing Christ. But as we come in contact with this passage, I think it just reminds us again of are we sharing Christ with those around us? Are we living in a way that is pointing others to Christ as well? And then number three, so our need, our calling. Number three this morning, this applies to each and every one of us. Our ongoing gaining of sight. Now, why Jesus saves us at a particular moment in time, the Bible teaches us that until we see Jesus in glory in heaven, we'll be gradually growing in our ability to see him, to love him, to know him, and to trust him more fully. And so we must continue to strive to see the beauty and the perfection of Jesus more and more clearly throughout our lives, and never be satisfied with what we know about Christ, because we want to know him the greatest way we possibly can through his word. And as we Conclude our message today. I want us to think about those things our need, our calling, and then our ongoing gaining of sight as we see Christ through Scripture, as we pray and are reflecting on His Word. And I thought it'd be fitting to uh, read uh, one of the most well known songs uh, ever written by a guy named John Newton in a sermon in 1773. Uh, the last verse of Amazing Grace. Or one of the verses of Amazing Grace, he says this, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm, fo- I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray this morning. God, we ask you today, as we come to you, we ask you to open our eyes to see the beauty of who you are. God, we ask that you would teach us more about yourself, instruct our minds, and just simply reveal yourself to us, God. Our prayer this morning that that if anyone in the room is in total spiritual darkness, total blindness, that they today would see the truth of the gospel and believe it, place their faith in it, and live a completely changed life because of it. We pray for all those who are believers, all the Christians in the room, that you would do a work in them. You would show them more and more of your truth from your word each and every day, and that we would all begin to have more open eyelids, if you will, to the truth before us and to the person that you are, Jesus. I pray that we have eyes to see and ears to hear, and that just another miracle won't just be another miracle but we would see our great need for clear spiritual sight. God, help us today. I don't know where everybody in this room falls, where their needs, struggles, where, where they need you to work most, but God, you sympathize with them. You know their hearts. And there's not one person in this room that, God, you do not see what they're going through or they're facing or they're feeling. God, we pray that you would meet everyone where we are this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.